Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. There's so many lessons in 2 Corinthians 2, 1, 12. And last time I tried to cover too many lessons, I kept you here for like a long time. And I do not want to do that to my sisters in Jesus. So I decided that I'm just going to go over some of the lessons, four lessons, and then we'll get to the real lesson, okay? So here they are. They're going to come quick. The first lesson is unfounded fears, right? We think about Elijah as we've been studying him, and he thought that he would die by the hands of evil, didn't he? And don't we sometimes think that this trial, this is going to be the one that takes me down or out? You have that, or is that just me? I don't think so, because I think you're women too. And at one point, Elijah had traveled over 100 miles on foot to escape death. He had hidden alone in a cave and told the Lord that the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets, and they seek to take my life. But the Lord never intended that Elijah would die. That was never in God's plans for Elijah. So many times we think that God has the worst plans for us, you know, plans for death, but that wasn't the plan. That wasn't the plot. Even as the Lord assured him in the cave, not all those in Israel sought his life. God had not lost control or forfeited his will to evil. God was still working and was going to deal with the evil in Israel by Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha. So Elijah's greatest worry, greatest concern, never transpired. I was reading an article in Psychology Today this morning that 91% of the things we worry about never transpire. 91%. And then what do we say? Yeah, it's that 9%. It's going to get me. Is this part of the 9 or is this part of the 91 you know, I don't know about, I was telling Brian, you know, this thing happened to me. You know, he goes, how old were you then? I'm like, 14. And he said, Cheryl, that was the first third of your life. I go, I know, but I've lived the other two thirds in that first third. <laughs> so lesson number two, death is a transport to heaven for the one who has faith in God. Isn't that wonderful? Death is not the end, but it means to the presence of God. Now, I've had some really bad flights in my life some airplane flights that were just criminal. I remember sitting, (laughs) I remember one flight being canceled and I was just going, seriously, I was only going from Flagstaff to Phoenix, right? But one, it was turbulence. Two, it was one of the smallest prop planes I've ever seen in my life. Three, my seat that was towards the middle of the plane now was in the very back of the plane in the tail section. There were four of us And I don't mean to be mean, but the man next to me, to my right, was substantial. And the person on my left was a student that, like, was just, like, taking and, like, looking at me, like, what are you going to do about it? Like, leaning way over. And I'm, like, squished like this. It was, and the, the tail was going up and down the whole time and back and forth. And I was just, like, it was only an hour, but it seemed like it was years. It was just so tremendously terrible. I've had some bad flights. But you see, the flight is not the destination, is it? The flight is just simply the transport. And you know, I have this conversation ongoing with Linda Rourke in the office about ways we don't want to die. 
I don't know if, you know, this is, I think I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I don't want to burn to death. You know, it's just like, you know, I don't want to drown. No, me either. I don't want to drown, you know. And, and, you know, we're just talking about all the different ways we don't want to die. I don't want to fall from a building. No, I don't want to fall from a building either, you know. Don't want to, you know, bullet. I'm like, well, the bullet's not so bad because it's instant. No, Cheryl. And we just have these scenarios. And people come up and go, oh, what are you guys talking about? You know, because we're like two godly women. We're like, kind of talking about the ways we don't want to die. You know, we've given the Lord the list of, you know, you know, I want to die in my sleep. Does that sound like the best way? I had an aunt, uh, Mary Jane, and she was in her 90s, and she picked up these women every Sunday to take them to church. Can you imagine being 92 and saying, you know, here, I'm your lift, you know, talk about an Uber driver, right? And so she would pick up these ladies for church, and they all got in the car. So there's three of them in the car, two in the back seat, one in the front seat. And she looked at the passenger seat. She said, you know, on their way to church, I don't feel that good today. And with that, she leaned over and she went to be in heaven. And my mom's like, can you believe she died? I'm like, I want to go that way. Where's the list? You know, I want to sign that list. Taking women to church? Oh, my goodness. That's like the best way ever. I always tell that story to Linda. She's like, oh, I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Jesus told the parable about a beggar named Lazarus who was carried to heaven by angels, Luke 16, 22. I have a friend, and he couldn't get over the trauma of his brother's death. Um, His brother was coming out of um, a 7-Eleven, and a police car at that very moment got a Uh, an emergency call, and they just gunned the car and didn't see him, and they hit him, and they threw him in the air, and he died. And my friend just kept reliving that over and over again. And then one night as he was sleeping, he had a dream about that episode, and he saw these two angels grabbing his brother right before the car hit and transporting him to heaven. And it was so comforting that he didn't, he didn't worry about it anymore. It didn't plague him anymore. Because death is transport for the believer. Death is just a means to a glorious destination that's better than Hawaii. <laughs> and we see today that the transport that God intended for Elijah, this, this man of God, was a chariot of fire with flaming horses. I mean, it's like the limousine to heaven. Lesson three, what is a double portion? A double portion is not twice as much. I remember this girl came up to me one time after I taught. This is when I lived in Vista. She's like, Cheryl, whatever you have, I have been praying that I get the double portion. I'm like, well, then what's left for me? You know, I'm still alive. I'm only two years older than you are. You know, but that double portion, we act like, I want twice as much as whatever you have. No. The double portion was just the inheritance. I want what you have. A double portion wasn't even the whole thing. A double portion was what the eldest or the inheritor got. And they would divide it into, uh, if there were two sons, they would divide it into thirds, and the oldest son would get the two-thirds, and the younger son would get one-third. If there were seven brothers, then the eldest would get two-sevenths, and each of the other brothers would get um, a seventh. Does that make sense? 
So when we're talking about the double portion, we're simply talking about, I want what you have. I want the power. I want, I want God to do in me and for me what he has done for you and in you. Now, I find this incredibly interesting because we know Elijah did not have any earthly assets. Do you realize you never, realize, you never read about Elijah in the house? He's, he's always like, you know, on a mountain, in a cave, by a stream, staying with a widow. I mean, this is like vagabonds for Jesus. He doesn't have a permanent place. So it's not like Elisha is asking for anything that will give him popularity, that will, you know, make him money. He's not asking for an earthly legacy. So what was it that Elijah had that the young prophet wanted? God's spirit, exactly. God's spirit working through his life. You know, sometimes we we look at our lives and we say, what am I going to pass on to my children? You know, maybe you've got some of your mother's jewelry or you've got a china set. I don't know about you. You know, my mom passed away two years ago. And my sister's trying to give away the stuff that was my mom. And the kids are like... Uh, we kind of have enough. I mean, there was like a white couch. We're like, uh, we kind of have enough furniture, you know. Anyone with this dresser? Oh, we kind of. And then she was trying to give away her pajamas. It's like, no, we don't want the pajamas, you know. But we tend to think, you know, what is my legacy? What will I give to others? What can I pass on? You know, I don't have any money or I don't own a home. You can pass on the legacy of faith. Of all the things that my father and mother passed on to me, my favorite is their legacy of faith. It's the spirit. It's the stories of the spirit. I, I think back, and it's, it's, there's a story either from my mother or father for every occasion on earth, a glory story, a faith story. And I love the stories of faith. That's my legacy. I'm the daughter of a man and woman of faith faith, that God did the miraculous through. And you know, I, I loved my dad more than anybody on earth till I met Brian and had my own, you know, my own children. I was a daddy's girl from the time I was born, my mom told me. And I remember my dad, you know, he was overweight, he had a chipped tooth, and he was bald. And he always wore t-shirts and dockers. I don't even think he ever owned a pair of jeans. But I, I adored him. But what happened to him through the Jesus people was not because my father was so charming, so intelligent, so good-looking, so um, cool, because he was none of those things. In fact, he always had grease on his white T-shirt. Kids used to say, is your dad a mechanic? I'd be like, no, he's a pastor. <laughs> it was I knew him personally up front and my mom, and I knew their humanity. I knew their humanity better than anybody else because I tested it constantly. (laughs) And I knew that what happened in their lives was all due to one thing, Jesus Christ and their connection to Jesus, the power of the Spirit. And that's, that's a legacy because I know that I can trust that same God that I can rest in that same God, that I can cast all my cares upon the same 
God and he doesn't show favorites and he will do for me and for my grandchildren what he did for my parents. He will do for you. But you've got this legacy of faith. You even have stories of faith. Are you passing them down? I mean, we've been reading the legacy of Elijah and we've read his heights and we've read his fears and his doubts. It's all part of the same story, isn't it? And yet, Elisha looking on says, I want everything that you have. I want it. You might feel like a failure. You might feel like people are looking on going, why would I want that? No. They want your legacy of answered prayer. They want your legacy that you prayed. You know, it's crazy the doors that just saying, can I pray for you, will open. When people know you're a praying woman. I had one man saying, I know you're praying. Are you a praying woman? I'm like, yes, I'm a praying woman. I mean, that much I can do. You've got a legacy. That's the double portion. God's spirit in on our lives is the greatest gift that we possess. It is an eternal gift. It is the gift that keeps giving. And it is the greatest thing that we can leave with others. Lesson four. Quit mourning over what has been taken or is being taken what you have lost, and become the leader. We tend to just keep thinking about, oh, in the old days, and this is you know, how it was in the leaders. No. When your leader leaves, it's time for you to emulate your leader. When Jesus rose into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost on a multitude of people flaming tongues of fire resting on each of their heads. When somebody great is taken, we are not to sit there and go, well, it's over, the work is over, we might as well just throw in the towel. No, we're to ask for that double portion, and we are to seek to be like, you know, take the attributes that we admired most and emulate them, live in them, to seek to be filled with the Spirit and be led by Jesus, even as those that we admired the leadership of sought the Lord and were led by the Lord. Finally, we come to lesson five. This is what the study is all about. Those were just teasers, just fun. The lesson I want to talk to you about this morning is the importance of perseverance. In 2 Corinthians 12, 12, we read that Paul said, I have all the signs of apostleship. And one of those signs of apostleship, of a true apostle of Jesus, was perseverance. Now, perseverance is known also in the Bible by its synonyms. One is patience, a word we all love. The other one is endurance, hypomone, waiting, faithfulness, abide, manos, continue, epimeno. They all have this idea of persevering. If it's abide, it's persevering in Jesus, staying in him. If it's continue, it's, Paul says, continue um, epimeno in prayer, earnestly. So perseverance. Now, we live in a time when perseverance is the exception rather than the practice of most people, right? Have you seen that? You know what? I just... As I'm preparing this study, I happen to um, start thumbing through a Reader's Digest that I have at home, because you can never read all the Reader's Digest articles. There's so many of them. And I realize this is one I forgot. 
And you know what it was called, the article? In Praise of Quitters. And he was like, you know, I know people say perseverance is a virtue, but you know, no, it's not always the right call. And it was just one thing after another. We live in a time where if you don't like what someone said, if you don't like your neighbors, if you don't like your state leaders, if you don't like a certain person, you can move, leave, cancel them, or slander them on Facebook. Here's options. If at first you don't succeed, give up. Give up. Give up again. If at first you don't succeed, move on. Move on. Move on. If at first you don't succeed, conclude, I don't have the gift. I don't have the gift. I remember a time that I didn't feel like I had the gift for children anymore. <laughs> My own. Um, <laughs> In Sunday school, you don't give up. You pray it into the emptiness and the void. But if at first you don't succeed, find something else to do. How about this one? When the going gets tough, find somewhere else to go. If things get difficult or challenging, resign or refuse to continue to cooperate. If you don't understand, give up deconstruct, look for fulfillment elsewhere. Even so, perseverance is the exception. But the Bible says it is the one who perseveres who receives the promise. It tells us that it was through faith and patience that the believers in the Old Testament received the promise. In Hebrews 10.36, it says, For you have need of endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. It was through perseverance that Elijah received divine escort to heaven. What if he had just stayed in the cave and said, I'm not going back? It was through perseverance that Elisha distinguished himself from the other prophets and received the double portion or the inheritance of Elijah. Perseverance is faithfulness through knowledge of coming loss, even though this is going to hurt, where Jesus said, you can't follow me unless you take up your cross. There is a cross. I was just reading in... Luke chapter either 14 or 15 the other day, where Jesus said, you need to count the cost. In fact, Jesus was really good at thinning the cloud, uh, crowds. You know it? He gets up, there's a huge crowd, and he says, you know what? Unless you're willing to lose your life or you hate your father, your mother, your sisters, your brothers, your land, then you can't follow me. I was like, what? What is he saying? And he said, yeah, and unless you hate your own life also, you cannot follow me. He said, you need to count the cost. There's a cost. There's a cost. And what we see is some people lately, when they get the bill, they're like, I'm deconstructing my faith right now. The bill. I just got the bill. I just saw how expensive. I just saw that this might cost me relationships. This might cost me my reputation. This might cost me my job. 
I'm pulling back. I'm deconstructing. You can't deconstruct a relationship. You can't deconstruct what you never had. It is perseverance. Even though there's a cost, there will be a loss. It's perseverance through difficulty. It's perseverance through confusion. When you don't know the path or where the path is leading, it's perseverance through discouragement, and it's perseverance through pain. Consider the perseverance of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha knows that he will be parted from Elijah. That's, that's loss. There is something in us that wants to distance ourselves from something that's going to hurt. We just have this revulsion, especially to emotional pain. There is something that recoils from potential loss. We like to safeguard our hearts and emotionally distance. I know this to be true. I'm going to confess to you, I hate going away parties. I hate them. I have the hardest time going to going away parties. Because I'm the one in the corner just like going. <laughs> you know, and I tend to discourage the people that are leaving instead of encouragement. And Brian's like, you go into their going away party, they need to know you care. I'm like, just take a video of me. <laughs> I have the hardest time. Every time my kids visit, uh, Kristen just was here last Friday. Every time she leaves, she's almost 42 years old. She probably doesn't want me saying that, but who well? Who well? Oh, well. I cry. I sob. I'm really brave. And she's walking out the door, and then I'm just like, oh. And I know the Lord is with her. I know she's supposed to live in New York. Look, even now, as I'm thinking about her. But I just miss all my babies. I want them to be babies again. I just want them to be little. I don't want anybody else's kids. I don't want new kids. I want my kids. I want them to be little again and in love with me and think I'm perfect again. It happened like two days in my life, but it, it could happen again. I once wrote my parents when I was living in England that heaven would be all hellos and no goodbyes. When I was in class, I had this um, teacher. He was telling me that his wife was dying, and he had a mentor pastor, and he said, so, so why are you here with me? And he said, you know, well, she's dying. He said, where are you sleeping? Oh, in another room. He said, I want you to go, and I want you to spend as much time with your wife. I want you to hold her in your arms. He said, I don't want to, because it's going to hurt so bad. He said, let it hurt. Do it. So he said he went back, he climbed in bed, and he spent every moment of her life, which lasted just another few weeks with her until she died. And he said when she went to heaven, he felt like he was torn in two. But how many people would do that? Because we recoil. We want to distance. We want to put up safeguards for our heart. But my dad had a stroke. And then he had a surgery and he flatlined. 
And for some reason, every surgery and every time he had to go to the hospital, he called me to be his transport. He's like, Dad, I don't like goodbyes. You know, this is hard for me. Like, you've got three other kids. They drive. Why me? You know, hey, honey, I got radiation. Hey, honey, I got chemotherapy. And the Lord said to me, attach yourself to your father as close as possible. I said, God, it's going to hurt so bad. And it did. Kill me. Perseverance hurts. There's a cost, especially when you know it's going to result in a loss. There's a cost. The more you love that person, the more it's going to hurt. Elisha persevered, even though, oh no, you're crying. Sorry to do that too. Even though he, even though he knew Elijah would be taken from him, even though he knew the closer he walked, the more it would hurt. There's confusion. Elisha's path is circuitous. Gilgal. They're in Gilgal, and he's like, oh, the Lord says it's not here. We've got to move on. So they go to Bethel, and they're there, and he's like, mm, it's not Bethel. We've got to move on. It's in Jericho. Nope, it's not here. We need to move on. And then they go to the Jordan where they, Elijah uses his mantle, the river parts, and they're walking across, and they're just walking and talking before the transport happens. They seem to be meandering, just meandering. But even through all the meandering, even through the ups, the downs, the hills, Elisha accompanies the prophet through all the different locations and terrains. Elijah urges urges Elisha to stay in Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. Elijah is not sure where God is leading them or where the final destination for Elijah is going to be. Elijah even says to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has led me on to make it on to Bethel or Jericho or the Jordan. He's leading me on, stay here. And remember, Elijah had left his other servant in Beersheba because the journey was difficult because he didn't know where he was going because there was a bounty on his head. Elijah knows that his departure is imminent, but even in this, he's not sure of the way or the place. Yet, Elisha refuses to leave or abandon Elijah. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Talk about confusion. Not only is the way not clear, Elijah is not even sure where he's going or what's going to happen when he gets there. Elijah is urging Elisha, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to come with me. And Elisha must go even against the urging of his mentor. He must say, no, whether you like it or not, I'm here. I used to sing to my dad, when you walk through the storm, keep your head up high. And I would just say, I'm going to be with you, dad. Throughout this whole thing, I'm not leaving you. I'm going to be with you. Discouragement. In each place that Elisha accompanies Elijah, there are the well-intended prophets of God. 
Ever have well-intended prophets of God that just discourage you so badly? During my dad's ordeal, I had this woman show up at church, and she says, you've got to talk. You know, this girl's got to talk to you. This girl says, your father needs, um, what is it? Ion and I, Ion, Ion, water, this special water and the special water machine. Yes. And I said, he's got that machine. And she said, are you making sure he drinks it? I said, you're talking about the most powerful man in my life that I just said yes or no, sir, to. I cannot force him to do anything against his will. You need to. And she started yelling at me. And I looked at her and I said, I'm losing my dad. You don't have to if you just be responsible and make sure he got the right water. This is your fault. Can you imagine? This well-intended prophet of God. (laughs) Do you know how many books we had a stack of two feet high of books that would deliver him from cancer? In fact, he used to see canned asparagus every day. It's like, my dad's like, don't put me through that, baby. And I remember at one point someone tried to take sugar out of his life completely. And so I was making all these things with honey and all sorts of, you know, substitutes. And I go there and he's eating an apple pie that somebody else made him. I said, Dad. And he goes, quality, baby, not quantity. He called me baby like, quality, baby, not quantity. (laughs) No doubt. These prophets had received the word of Elijah's departure from the Lord. And so they're warning Elisha. They think they're doing the right thing. If you follow, you might depart too. If you follow too closely, it will hurt even more when he leaves. They're giving advice that's well-intended, but it's the wrong advice. And Elisha answers, yes, I know. Keep silent. You know, during this time of uh, the ordeal of my father's, my father's um, sickness, we had all those well-intended prophets. And I, I remember listening to a study by another pastor, and he was saying it, the whole thing was the gift of silence, that sometimes what people need is your presence, not your words. And I was thinking about Sometimes what you need is someone just to sit with you and not talk, but just be there. This is why he tells them, keep silent, which is a nice way of saying, shut up. (laughs) Elisha is fully aware that Elijah will be taken from him and the hurt will be extensive when they're parted, as loss always is. But you add to this that it's the loss of a great leader. And when a great leader dies, there's a loss of security. There's a loss of authority. There's a sense of where do we go from here? And is there a future? Is God still going to work? Is he, we know he worked in him. You know, it's it's so much easier, honestly, to read somebody else's sermon and use it than to have to listen to the Lord and hear what he wants to say and speak it. Because those are tried and true. They worked for others. But when you have to hear from the Lord yourself, you see, everyone got so used to hearing from Elijah that they stopped saying, well, what's the Lord saying to me? 
And we can do that sometimes with a great leader. We can stop hearing for ourselves from the Lord and just say, well, whatever he says. We're to hear from the Lord ourselves. My sheep hear my voice. And it is therefore then to be confirmed and verified by the leader. Pain. Amidst the constant reminders in Bethel, Jericho, at the Jordan that Elijah will be taken, there will be separation. Elijah continues, though he knows that this end, this will end, this departure, and he doesn't know the where or the how, but he continues knowing that the mission, even if it changes, it is what he's called to do. They persevere through the waiting. They waited for the word and the directive of the Lord at Gilgal. They waited for the directive and the word at Bethel. They waited for the directive and the word at Jericho. And then they waited even at the Jordan River. They waited until the chariot came. They waited not knowing what the transport or the Uber driver would look like, They waited. And what happened is the reward of perseverance. Through perseverance, the departing prophet met a chariot on time and received a divine transport to glory in the most glorious way. I want to be on that flight. Through perseverance, Elisha was distinguished from all the other prophets who stood at a distance. The others waited on the sidelines to see how Elijah's departure would play out, but they didn't say close to the prophet. Because of perseverance, Elisha received a double portion, the legacy of the older prophet, the spirit of God that was on the older prophet, now on his life. He became the leader. He received the authority of Elijah. And became a leader of the other prophets. And he became an example to the other prophets of faith, power, and perseverance. We all in this room have the spirit and the word of the Lord and the legacy of faith. We have these. We're at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. We have a legacy of faith. What do we lack? What do we need? We need perseverance so that we might all receive the double portion. The double portion belongs to the child who receives the inheritance of the parent. God has so much for each of us, but we have need of endurance, of patience, of perseverance, of continuance and faithfulness. What do we need? You know, often we are like, I need hot chocolate. No, I need a coffee. No, you need endurance. You need patience. Years ago, when Char was little, Pastor Char, that I, when he was little, I was shopping, Christmas shopping. My mom and sister had ditched me, and I had my sister's little girl, and I had Char, and they were both three. And I kept turning to them and saying, I need your cooperation. Say it after me. 
cooperation. I need it. Char was hyperactive, so I was holding their hands like, I need you to work with me. Cooperation, cooperation. You, know, we, I need your cooperation. So I kept turning to say, I need your cooperation. You know, quit trying to wriggle it out of my hand that I'm holding you. You know how little boys will do? Like, and I'm like, I need your cooperation. So finally, I turned to him in the middle of shopping, and I said, what do I need right now? And he looked at me and goes, patience. <laughs> That's right. And what else? <laughs> Our need is patience. Our need is continu continuance and faithfulness. God's got so many promises. We have yet to step into all the promises. You might be in the fiery trial right now, but I'm telling you, you're going to come out of it, and there are promises waiting. We have need of patience, that after doing the will of God, that we might receive the promise. There is a promise waiting. I feel it in my spirit. I know it by the word of God. There is a promise. Instead of running after the next thing or what's trending, the easiest thing or the newest thing, Rather than resigning or refusing or removing ourselves from the situation, let's pray for personal perseverance that we might receive all that God has for us and not miss out on one promise. Let's all seek and covenant together to be double portion women. Yan? Let's do it. Father, we thank you that the double portion is your idea. Lord, it's what you want to give us, Lord. And you want to give it to us more than we even want to get it. So we pray, we pray for that perseverance, Lord, that we might wait on the Spirit, that we might wait on your word, that we might wait until the promise comes and not leave beforehand. In Jesus' name, amen.